Uh, this morning we're going to be in the book of Galatians here. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 with me. I titled this message, The Truth of the Gospel. I don't feel like that's the most appropriate title, you know, so. Uh, but that is definitely the heart of the message this morning here. So um, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Let's read together, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2, and I'll read our passage of Scripture this morning. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And here comes a famous verse that many might have memorized. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Lord, we lift up this time in your word again. I don't want to share, Lord, without even asking for you to just uh, take, Lord, just and, and speak your message to us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us and reveals things about yourself that are just amazing, Lord. In awe, awesome, Lord. We ask that our eyes would be open and our hearts would be ready to receive, Lord, what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're looking at this passage, and it's pretty heavy in some ways, but I think the message ultimately, the truth of the gospel, speaks immensely of the grace of God, and that's what we're going to be kind of funneling ourselves down into. And we're going to look at it through the, the lens of somebody who messed up. How many of us have messed up on the regular? Amen. This is God dealing with one of his children that was messing up. And we're going to see how he does it and what he's, how he says it through his word. And so the, the main point we're going to look at, the grace of God and the truth of, gospel, of the gospel is the basis for Christian fellowship. That's how we all get along here. We're not... Gathering here because we all love the same football team, right? We're all gathering here because Jesus Christ has come into our lives and changed us. Or we might be here because we're curious about what the Bible has to say and we want to, we want to learn more. 
But we are gathering here in it, um, based on the grace of God and the truth of the gospel. The gospel does not pro- divide, but it brings together those who believe in it. And we see that there was a division that had begun in the church of Galatia. And Paul was using this example of when he had to correct Peter to address it. Now, Peter was taken with fear of man, having suppressed what Christ had revealed to him in his actions. And his actions were out of step with the truth of the gospel. He needed to be corrected and to be brought back in line with the gospel. That's the basis of our text today. So let's look at the, fir- the problem here. Truth is suppressed. Verse 11, it says that now Peter had come to Antioch and I, this is Paul speaking, he's, he's writing uh, to the Galatians about this situation in his life that he goes, and I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Before, or for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So we see Paul describing this time of when he had to confront Peter. And who was Peter? He was another apostle. This was one of the guys that was right there with Jesus the whole time. One of the inner three. One of those that were super close to Jesus through his Uh, Jesus's whole ministry. But Peter needed to be confronted because he was out of step for the behavior that he exhibited. This was something that Paul had seen. Paul observed Peter behaving this way and he had to confront him because it wasn't in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul brings this story up for two purposes in the context of the scripture here. One, he is showing his authority was from the Lord alone and not from one of the other apostles. And this was something that was being attacked uh, in Galatia, Paul's authority. And so he gave this example, a testimony uh, of a situation in, in his ministry. And he also was using this as an example to show his commitment to the gospel that he had received from Jesus Christ. And then the other thing, the reason Paul is writing this, is that the Galatians were at risk of doing the very same thing that, Paul, or that Peter was, trusting in the works of the law to complete their salvation. Or at least suppressing the truth that that was not the case. So the truth of the gospel and its outworking in our lives is of the most utmost importance to Paul. And so he addresses that in Peter, his fellow minister. The behavior that condemned Peter is that at one point he had close, intimate fellowship with the Gentile believers in Antioch. Peter had come up and he had begun to just fall into line. Gentiles were getting saved by the same message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And as the the Jews were accepting there in Jerusalem, but in Antioch, Gentiles were getting saved. They were coming to the faith. And you started to have this mixture of Jews and Gentiles in the same place. They're learning and believing in Jesus. Fellowshipping with one another. And Peter, when he came up there, he would freely eat with the Gentile believers. He would share meals with them. And fellowship with them in their homes. As was the custom. And 
You know, Peter, actually, in, in Acts chapter 10, if you want to turn over there with me, we'll read real quick part of Peter's testimony. Look at verse 9. See, Peter, when he had begun ministering, uh, he was, found himself in the house of a tanner, and he was praying. He was waiting for the meal. And in verse 9 of chapter 10, it says, On the next day, when they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he came, he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the, at the four corners, descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. So Peter had this vision. It was a very kind of interesting vision because, you know, he's about food and killing and eating and so on. And Peter, is, as, a, um, as a Jewish man, he was used to following the Mosaic laws. He wouldn't eat anything that was unclean or not prepared properly. And, and so this this sheet that had descended with all these animals, it, it must have been confusing to Peter. Like, well, I don't eat those foods. Why, why are you asking me to do this? And then the message was that what God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. And it was done three times. Three is always a symbol of just, of, of um, like a full statement. Uh, this is done to really impress upon the reader or the person receiving the vision. This was important. You cannot turn away from this. And now Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant. And while he's wondering what this was, uh, Cornelius, uh, uh, he was in Caesarea. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his house, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, this guy was a Gentile. He was... He was one who believed in God and would support the Jewish people rather than oppress them like some of the others, uh, you know, centurions of the day. But he had, the, the angel came to Cornelius and said, hey, I want you to go and send for a guy named Peter. He's going to tell you everything you want to know about me. And so he did. He sent men to go and, and he brought Peter and, and Peter thought about the vision in verse 19, and the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter, in verse 21, went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation uh, of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you. And he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went with them and some brethren from Joppa accord, uh, accompanied him. 
Now, when Peter shows up, he sees the Cornelius, his whole family, and, it, and he goes, what do you want me to share with you? He goes, I don't know. The, the angel told me you were going to tell us. And he goes, uh, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. This was part of the problem that was developing in um, that, that Paul was dealing with with Peter. Is because there was a division that had begun to take place um, in Antioch. And Peter is just going off a custom. This was how he was raised. But what we see here is that the gospel changes everything. But God has shown me in verse 28, the second half of 28 in Acts 10. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? And so Paul or Peter begins to open his mouth and he preaches the God. Um, uh, he preaches the gospel to them and they were saved. And we see that the spirit of God had fallen on them. And we see that was the first example of some of the of Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. And so Peter it's interesting, right? We got Paul confronting Peter about the very thing that God had spoke to Peter about. How often have we been taught a lesson and later on we have to relearn that lesson? I thought about even uh, an ex- trying to think of examples. I'm thinking about, you know, how many of us as parents, we're talking to our kids, we tell them, we give them instructions, they go and they uh, mess up. And then we go on to, maybe this has happened to you recently from your own parents, you know, you're talking to them and they say, I told you. And then they proceed to tell you all the reasons why you weren't supposed to do it and, and, and why the decision you made was wrong. And so you have to kind of sit through it. Paul is doing that right here. Paul is telling Peter, he goes, Peter, you know this. And then he goes on to recite everything that Peter already knows. Because we have to hear it over and over and over again, right? We can't just hear it once, be one and done. We have to hear the gospel over and over again. It matters. It matters how we deal with people in our lives. It matters how we deal with our own children or with our family members or friends or coworkers, whatever it might be. It matters that we have to visit the gospel over and over again because we see in Peter's life, he allowed fear of man to cause him to suppress the truth. So this group came from James, or from where James lived, which was in Jerusalem. Uh, He came, when these men came, it says that Peter withdrew and separated himself from the Gentiles. It was a progression. He, He caved to the pressure of these men, these visitors, maybe saying, why are you eating with the Gentiles? Why are you spending time with them? Why are you, this isn't right. And, he, and Peter eventually stopped this close fellowship that he had with the Gentiles. And we want to ask ourselves, why did Peter do that? Because he feared the men. These were some men of importance. And, and though Christians were still strictly obedient to the Mosaic law, the word had reached James that the Jewish and Gentile Christians were eating together together. And the men were sent to find the matter out. 
And when they came, they found Peter sitting and having these meals with the Gentiles. And they called him into in question. You know, back in Acts too, this parallels so much with Acts. I want to say it was chapter 11 or so. Peter goes back to Jerusalem. And they say, hey, there's reports that you've been sitting with the Gentiles. And they attacked him then. And he, and he explained everything to them. And then they calmed down a bit. And they, they said, well, so be it. God has saved the Gentiles as well. You see, it was so ingrained in the Jewish and the Jews to separate themselves from the surrounding culture that, that this was a big conflict. This was something that took some growing and challenge, challenging their faith, as well as even in the Gentiles. The Gentiles had to learn to dwell in unity with their Jewish brothers and sisters because the Gentiles, they would eat you know, cheeseburgers all the time that were cooked rare. And that was not a thing that Jewish people ate. You know, they had just plain cheeseburgers that were well done. You know, that's just a, an example. It's not serious. But uh, I guess if you go to Jerusalem, you can see some of this played out in McDonald's and different things. Right. Okay. Let me get a nod. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they would have these different eat these different um, criteria for the foods that they ate. And so there was this, this melding together of cultures, of different people from different backgrounds under Jesus and in Jesus. And so when these, these Jews had come out to visit and see what was going on, Peter, Peter began to suppress the truth that he knew. And it says that he played the hypocrite. And not only... Peter, but the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him. So that Barnabas, even Barnabas, Barnabas was Paul's right-hand man, right? They went on all the missionary journeys. Barnabas saw Gentiles receiving the Lord and he was carried away with their hypocrisy. So we see Peter, Peter was a leader. Peter was a leader, okay. Uh, and he underestimated even his own influence upon his brothers that were serving alongside of him. Peter's actions led others to do the same. And now there was a division in the church. The, the, the fellowship had now been stopped and a separation between the believers had become apparent. And Paul could not stand it any longer. You see, Peter... What we learn from him is that we never want to underestimate our influence upon others. It doesn't matter who you are. Peter was a pillar in the church and an example to other Jewish believers, and his actions led to division. You know, how am I leading others through my actions? How are my actions exemplifying the gospel? Because Peter's at this moment was suppressing the gospel that that. All believers are united in Christ, and there is to be no division. Paul calls Peter's and the others, the others who followed along with him, he calls our behavior hypocrisy. So how was their behavior hypocrisy? Well, we just read it, Acts chapter 10. It's pretty obvious what God was doing and had said to Peter. And Peter knew best, and the others knew the, knew the message as well. Yet, they still went on and put, went and put on an act for these men from Jerusalem. 
The word translated hypocrisy speaks of the act of concealing one's real character under the guise of conduct, implying something different. Hypocrisy is often used to deception. We think about this, wrong motives, wrong motives hidden under an act of, of better ones, like wearing a mask. You know, really you hate a person, but you're like, bless your heart, you know. You say something to them. Really, it's, it's, a, it's a negative feeling that you have towards somebody or a situation, and then you're just being surface-level kind. That, we think about hypocrisy that way. But the use of this word shows Peter, Barnabas, and others suppressing the truth to go along with the visiting Jews. This type of hypocrisy only proceeds from fear. We don't want to ruffle somebody's feathers. We don't want to create conflict. We don't want to confront an issue. And so we suppress the truth and we go along with the situation. Peter knew the truth, but he was covering it up by going along with the conduct of the Jewish believers and separating from the Gentiles, ultimately misrepresenting his true convictions. Fear led to hypocrisy. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, sorry, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Do you think if Peter would have followed the Lord on this one, the Lord would have stand, stood behind him? So what's the remedy to a situation like this? Well, one, with any sin, with anything that we're not being straightforward about, we have to expose it. The truth needs to be exposed. We have to remember what the gospel truth is. And we have to move forward in the grace of God. So what, how was the truth exposed? Well, Paul confronted the sin. Paul had to confront Peter in front of the whole church. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, when, when he saw that there was a bunch of people that were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, the main representative, before them all, the whole church, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? you got to love Paul. It almost feels like he's just talking in circles sometimes. We'll break this down. What's at stake when we fear man? The truth of the gospel. Peter received that vision and showed him that the Gentiles were accepted by faith or through faith. But he hid this going along with the Jews. He was uh, not straightforward. He was deceptive and un- of unwavering. Oh, I'm sorry. Straightforward is descriptive of, of unwavering. So we see that Paul, Peter was walking crookedly. He wasn't being straightforward. He did not pursue a straight course in relation to the truth of the gospel. He did not deal honestly and consistently with it. His was an attitude that led him to juggle with its sacred truth, to warp it, to misrepresent it, and to deal crookedly with it. In West writes, he goes, what an indictment of Peter. 
Man, he had the truth and he didn't use it. He didn't walk in it rightly. That convicts me. It it should convict all of us. How has there been times where we haven't walked rightly in the truth of the gospel? Or we've withheld our tongue in proclaiming the good news to somebody. But Paul calls Peter out in front of the whole church, dealing with the behavior that that affected so many. It needed to be handled in this way. Peter was not being straightforward, and Paul was going to make sure that everybody knew, not Peter's fault, but using Peter as an example, how they were all wrong. And the Gentiles needed to see this too, right? They were the ones that were cut off. They needed to see that Paul, what the truth was. They needed to see the uh, misbehavior dealt with so that there could be a time of healing. Paul says that Peter was compelling Gentiles to live as Jews. Peter's actions didn't just give validity to the Jewish concern of separating from the Gentiles, but forced the law on the Gentile believers. They would have to come under the Jewish ceremonial laws in order to be remain part of the church, or they would have to split. Gentiles would then have to start eating the clean meals and start having to do things that, that the law was um, commanding and prohibiting in order for them to have fellowship with the Jews. And Paul would not allow a divided church, but worked himself wholeheartedly to build a church that was centered upon Christ, where Jews and Gentiles were united. He would go on to write about this in Romans. He would write in other books, that, uh, I think in Ephesians, there's no, there is no Jew nor Gentile, no barbarian, no anything that is not saved under Christ. And then after the, the truth has been exposed and has been dealt, the sin dealt with, we got to remember the gospel truth. We have to apply the gospel. Paul rehearsed the message of the gospel, the truth that had been suppressed, what Peter had been pushing down and the rest of them, he, uh, he rehearsed that whole message to the church. You see, After dealing with that sin, the truth had to be laid out flat. Everyone had to know what it was. And Paul goes on in verse 15, he says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now we're going to get into more of the, the conflict that was happening here. And we'll, we'll break it down a bit. But what we need to know is that there was, because of the conduct of Peter and the other Jews, they were, they were causing the Gentiles to think they had to come under some sort of law to be saved, or to have fellowship with one with another. And that is not what the gospel states. And Paul is going to to create the case here as to how and why everyone is saved. As for us, Paul writes, 
By nature, we are Jews and not sinners of the Gentiles. You see, there are, just like we have uh, Peruvians that are a part of our church, Korean people, Chinese people, there's people that are born in different cultures. We have Jewish people with us. We have people from all over the world that fellowship within our body. Paul says, as he's addressing Peter, he goes, we're Jews by birth. This is, we know all of this. Those, God had given us the ordinances for how a man can rightly worship God. Or how God could, uh, God's promises to his covenant people. And God did that because he was going to bring Jesus through them. They needed to be separated from the rest of the world so that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, could come on the scene and do what God had called him to do. And then they had Gentiles. And so Gentiles is a blanket statement, really, for all nations outside of Israel. We're we're studying Hebrew scriptures here. This is a Jewish story. It's a Jewish uh, scriptures. And so you have Jews and then you have the whole rest of the world. It's under the title of Gentiles. But when they're called sinners, it's just, it's a descriptive word not necessarily indicating a sinner of some specific sin, but they're those born completely outside of the influence of the law. They didn't have a relationship with the law. And so they call them a, a, a sinners in that way. Paul says, we know, we who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, we know that a man a person is not justified by the works of the law. So what is justified? What is justification? It's to declare, to declare a person as righteous before God. Now there's two ways for a person to be justified and only one is possible. You can either seek to be justified by the law. A person could gain divine approval by keeping the law. They could. His salvation is earned, and it's a payment or a debt that God owes to man. But if that man disobeys the divine law, he is subject to the divine condemnation. So you can try to be a good person or live by like a moral code to earn God's favor. But eventually, at some point, you will fail. The Bible says that we're all sinners There's not one righteous, no, not one. And so this is why the only other option exists, because we can't do it in ourselves. The other option to be justified is to be justified by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. This is God's gracious act of declaring a sinner righteous, imputing Christ's righteousness to the sinner. When God justifies a sinner, he takes away his guilt and penalty for his sins. Since Jesus bore both of those on the cross. He imputes Jesus' righteousness in which a believer stands guiltless and uncondemned now and forever. That's the only other way. There's two ways to be justified. You can go the route of trying to do it on your own. Adhering to some laws, or you can go through Jesus where he has taken care and done all of that. It has nothing to do with what we're able to do. 
And Paul is saying, Peter, we both believe this. So we have believed. Peter and Paul have both accepted this truth in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And Paul writes, because the works, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's not a single person that can be justified by the works of the law. In verse 17, it says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. This is a contrast with the last verse. Paul says that no one can be justified by the works of the law. So in seeking justification through Christ, the Jew would have been shown that they too are sinners just like those of just like and in the same class as those of the Gentiles. By coming to faith in Christ, the Jew had to set aside the law as a means for acceptance by God. And if they are coming to Christ through faith, or coming to salvation through faith in Christ, that means that they were a sinner as well because the Gentile had to come through to salvation through faith in Christ. In seeking justification through Christ, the Jew would be shown that they too are sinners just like and in the same class as the Gentiles. One who, become, who comes to Christ has to agree with him that they are sinners, unable to be justified by their own works. How many of you guys have seen Ray Comfort? You guys watched his videos on, on YouTube? I'm always surprised. Sometimes I'll sit on my lunch break and I'll just watch those. But I'm always surprised. You know, his, his whole... Uh, method of, of uh, evangelism is to take people ultimately through a few of the Ten Commandments. And why, the reason he does that is to really prove that no man is good. His, his starting question is, do you think you're a good person? Well, everybody goes, well, I like to think so. Or, yeah, I'm a good person. And then he goes down the list. Are you, uh, the Bible says that if you told a lie... And you've broken the law. And then he goes, have you told a lie? Oh, yeah, I've told like thousands of them, you know, millions of them. And I just told a lie. You know, they, they would respond just like that. And then he goes on, he goes, have you ever, um, the, the Bible says that if you um, hate somebody in your heart, then you murdered them. Have you ever hated somebody? Well, yeah. You know, and he goes through these things. And then at the end, he goes, now, according to how you've answered all these questions, are you still a good person? Well, yeah, I'm still a good person. Oh, they, they just agreed that they've broken every law in, in God's book, and then they would still proceed to say that they're a good person. It, it always amazes me that people are so reluctant to, agree, uh, to say that they're still sinners, or that they're, they're not sinners, that they're good people. They're reluctant to agree that the Bible places all men under sin, to agree with God's word that they are sinners. In verse 18, Paul goes on, he says, If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Paul says that the same way that uh, the Judaizers thought leaving the law to be justified by Christ was a sin, to leave Christ to be justified by the law is a transgression. The same goes. If you leave Jesus to go and try to be saved through the law and through good works and so on, then Ultimately, it'll be found as a transgression. You cannot leave Christ. You, no, one, no one comes to the Father except through Christ. 
For Paul, he says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. This is what Paul's resolve had been. You see, Paul wasn't, he wasn't a non-Jew condemning Jews for what they're doing. Paul was probably one of the most hardcore Jewish Pharisees that you could have ever met. He was chasing down in the name of God, believing he was doing God's work, chasing down Christians and locking them up because they were calling a man the son of God and not giving God his due. He thought with all his heart he was doing the work of God. And God stopped him on that road and said, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul was humbled and changed and the gospel message took root in his life and he was never the same again. He calls himself the chief of sinners because of what he's done. But Paul, he gives his, the resolve that happened in his heart. He goes, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. The law here in context speaks of a means of acceptance with God in the case of the sinner who obeys it. Paul died to the law in that he no longer sought to be justified through it. He didn't say that the law was bad. The law is good. But all the, where the law falls short is it can't make us righteous. It just points out our unrighteousness. But everything written in it is good. But Paul sought no longer to be justified through the law. Jesus was the one that lived under the law for us. He fully obeyed the law. And he assumed the guilt and the penalty which the human race incurred through the violation of the law. Having died under the law, he satisfied its requirements. Thus, as one commentator wrote, thus he passed out of the realm where the law in its legalistic aspect had control over him. All believers were identified with Christ in his death and also in his resurrection, and thus have passed out of the realm of divine law so far as its legal aspects is concerned. The believer who is in Jesus Stand, uh, who stands in Jesus has no legalistic relationship with the law to pr- procure a relationship with God, but has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By trusting in Christ for salvation, Paul was making a break from being justified by the law. He had to. He said in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul considered himself dead. He goes, I'm, there's nothing I can do to save myself. All that he strove for before Christ to be accepted by God, according to the law, he died to. I'm no longer pursuing my own salvation. The life he now lived, he considered lived in the newness of of that relationship with Christ, the newness of the life of the very Holy Spirit living within him, living God's law out through him. Instead of living out his life in obedience to a set of rules in the form of the law, 
Paul now yields to the indwelling Holy Spirit and cooperates with him in the production of a life pleasing to God. Man, that's where the power is. This is why Paul could get up in front of Peter and say, you're not doing this right. You're not saying the right message. You're illustrating that people need to keep a set of rules to have fellowship and a relationship with God. And that's not what it's about. It's about the Holy Spirit living within us and giving us, uh, producing a life that's pleasing to God, energized by the divine life resident in him through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes to great lengths to make sure that all who heard him that day understood that if, a Christian, that if Christian fellowship is disrupted by the bringing in of laws meant to justify a person before God, then the law was being held in the wrong regard and that the truth of the gospel needed to be placed above that. That being said, that being said, Paul has a lot to say about how to work out this unity in Christ between cultural backgrounds and specifically those that separated the Jews and the Gentiles in the church. He wrote this over and over in his letters. We're not to stumble one another through the foods that we eat. We're supposed to dwell with one another in understanding. We're supposed to be... And what is all of that? That's all seasoned with grace. Which comes to our final, the remedy to all of this is the grace of God. Getting up and going forward in God's grace. This is all Paul. Paul was saying all of this to tell Peter to get up from where you were at and keep going with the truth. Stop suppressing it and start walking rightly. That's what's amazing about God's grace. There is no religious work to be done, no penance to be paid, just simply trusting in and accepting the salvation Jesus obtained for sinners on the cross. Peter didn't have to do anything. He might need to go say sorry to some people. I'm sorry that I did this. You know, I'm sorry I divided us. But as far as his relationship with God, Peter was still accepted by the grace of God, even though he messed up. Think about Peter. I love the dude because he makes me feel good about me because I'm so aware of all the ways that I fall short. Peter, confessing Jesus is the Messiah, what's he do the next 10 seconds? No, you can't go to the cross. He's trying to keep Jesus from dying for our sins. Peter, I'll, go to, I'll die for you, Jesus. And then later that evening, he ends up denying Jesus. Do you see a pattern in Peter's life? Can we relate? Where we've fallen short, where we've messed up, where we've held our tongue, where we've taken the truth that we know, Peter was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and he still failed in certain ways. But we see Jesus always reinstating him, always using him, continuing to use somebody who's messed up. Paul says, I don't set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. By seeking to be accepted by God through any means other than faith through Christ, 
would be to reject the grace of God and count his death as nothing. Peter was taken back by the fear of man, having suppressed what Christ had revealed to him. His action was out of step with the truth of the gospel, the truth that man is justified by faith in Christ and not by any works of his own. And yet, Paul says, don't set aside the grace of God. Come back to the truth, represent it rightly, and keep going. I think Peter, we don't ever have Peter's response to what Paul had said to him, how he confronted him through uh, uh, before the Antioch church. But we do have something written by Peter. If you look at 2 Peter with me, 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 16, he talks about Paul. And he has high regard for Paul. But I think in the last segment, section of what we're going to read, we see what Peter learned. It says, also in all, of his, uh, in all his epistles, he's speaking of Paul's epistles, also in all his, epistle, in all his epistles, speaking in them of, the thing, of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the rest of scriptures. You see what Peter says about Paul's writings? He puts them on par with the rest of scriptures. He, he had a high regard for what the message that Paul was preaching and writing. And he says that people seek to mess with us, those teachings and to, to their own destruction. But as Peter writes to, um, to the reader here, and he says, you therefore, beloved. Guys, I love you. You therefore, since you know this beforehand, the people are taking the scriptures and messing with them. Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. Think about Peter writing that. What did we just read? He fell from his own steadfastness. He had a lapse of faith, or at least trust in, in the gospel at that time. He suppressed it. Being led away with the error of the wicked, this is his exhortation right here, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we keep going when we mess up? We keep going by going to the the throne of grace. We keep going by going to God in, in his grace, by growing and the knowledge, uh, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's about what he has done. We can spend all day, every day, thinking about the gospel, thinking about what Christ has accomplished uh, through the cross, through his life, for the rest of our lives, and never exhaust it. Because the more we get to know him, we, we realize how amazing his grace is. And he is beyond our finding out. We can seek him to grow in our knowledge of him. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I think Peter learned. And that was, that was one of the last things that he would have written. Or at least we have recorded written by him. 
Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where it is found. So some of us here, we may have been holding on to things to try to, to please God. Maybe there's works that we're holding on to. Maybe there's things that, that we're, um, we're trying to gain God's favor with. Maybe some of us here have been um, suppressing the truth of the gospel in various ways. We know what God's word says, and yet we've, we've continued to not show grace to a fellow believer. We've chosen not to forgive a fellow believer. We've chosen to say they need to do this before I can have a relationship with them again. But when we look at the grace of God and how he has forgiven us, he has died for us that while we were sinners, did he wait for us to come to him and say, oh, I'm sorry for what I did. Okay, now that you said you're sorry, I'm going to go die for you. That's not what he did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. And in some of us, maybe we've been holding on to our own, maybe we don't, we're not believers in Christ. Maybe we've been trying to uh, hold on to our own good works as a means to maybe get into heaven. But as God's word says, and as, as Peter had even suppressed, there's no one that's good enough to get into heaven. No one. And we are only able to find forgiveness for sin and freedom from guilt because of what Christ has done. And so, we want to fix our eyes upon him and what he has, has done. If he's forgiven us, we need to forgive others. If you don't know him, he loves you. And he's standing there ready to forgive because of what he's done. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, this morning, Lord, and the time we've had in your word. And I pray that uh, it would continue to minister to us. Lord, uh, that, Lord, you are the giver of life, Lord. And that there's no salvation to be had on, uh, in anything that we have done. Lord, I pray that as believers, we would be bold about the truth of the gospel. Lord, and that if, if we're in some situation of fearing man, Lord, that you would first and foremost forgive us. But Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would equip us to stand firm, Lord, in the conviction that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we love you, and we, we ask that you would just do this work in us. We uh, just give you the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we all stand as we...